BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company, Regina's only downtown brewery. Well, it's a big week in Ryderville as we have some very important news that broke this morning as uh, the Riders added a couple of receivers to their roster. Um, mm-hmm. Probably haven't really heard a whole lot of them, and we don't really know what they're going to be, if anything. But we do have a rooting interest now after the signing of American receiver K.D. Cannon. <laughs> yes! I'm not even a Ryder fan, and if he makes the roster, I want his jersey. Just to have Cannon on with whatever obscure number he's going to get, like, I don't know, 93. <laughs> Well, it's a defensive line number, so it's probably not that number. But yeah, that's I, I the mean, joke. Okay, whatever. I'm not. In, <laughs> I'm not in a joking mood, I guess, right now. But <laughs> you were you were serious about Katie Cannon? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, who could not be? Because there's nothing we love around here, and I know everyone across football loves it when people show up with just great names that just seem to fit well in football. And I can just imagine the headlines now from Rob Vanstone should Cannon have a big moment and win them a game or. You know, he was shot out of a cannon as he broke through the offensive line for the touchdown if you were a oh. running back or something. like It would just be it would just be outstanding. So, Katie Cannon, just know that we here at the Greencast have your back, and we hope that you become a successful CFL player because, well, we love your name. We, we love your name, and I can't wait for the Vanstone-isms. I mean, it's just, just like, you're right, you brought it up, Joel. I'm just dreaming of a world in which Katie Cannon is an all-star receiver for the Riders. And everything that Rob Vanstone would do. And even <laughs> even on the broadcast, I could see Rod Peterson having so much fun with it. And then Rod Black completely killing it by the fact he'd go completely over the top on it and it'd be entered in the Rod Black drinking game. Yeah, and uh, some year I'm actually going to do enough the work and have fun with it. We're at the start of a CFL training camp. I'm going to go through the team roster by roster and find like all the names you should be rooting for in training camp this year. Um, it's, Ooh, an idea, like it. it's an idea I've pitched before, I think, to Haji because I wanted him to do it, but it, he's obviously busy with other things. So I think next year, heading to training camp, 
I'm going to do the work and I'm going to put that piece together to find out all the best names that are new to the CFL that you should be cheering for this year just because they have a wicked awesome name. <laughs> I, I like it. It'll be like the bizarro version of when the, the guys at the Piffles podcast did the Hottie Bowl for a while. Mm-hmm. Can we call it the Namey Bowl? I, I think it's just a who's who of who, the people you should be cheering for at training camp this year in the CFL. <laughs> this is who you should be rooting for. If you have no rooting interest, these are the best names in the CFL. And so it's another big week for here in Ryderville as a, a new batch of local Saskatchewan beer is going to be making its way to Mosaic Stadium for the game between the Riders and the Red Blacks on Saturday evening. As you may know, six breweries across the province are going to be shipping their local beer to the, every home game for the uh, rest of the season. And so it was three last time. It was Rebellion, it was Churchill, and it was Prairie Sun. This week it'll be Pile of Bones Brewing. Of course, our official title sponsor. Absolutely. Slow clap for them. Yeah. It will be Blackbridge Brewery out of uh, Swift Current and District, who are also in the warehouse district of Regina. And uh, I can tell you for sure, I know that Glenn and the gang at Pile of Bones, they will be sending the crowd pleaser, the favorite, the White IPA, oh, will be yes. available in cans at Mosaic Stadium. So amazing, fresh, local beer. Once again, available at Ryder Games this week. Um, I saw through social channels that Blackbridge, they're sending their Wheat Burst, which is kind of along the lines of the White IPA, but a little hoppier. So if that's mm-hmm. what you're into, that's good. I haven't seen anywhere what district is sending just yet. So I'm not going to make any grand, grand proclamations about their bringing. But once again this week, get out there, vote with your wallets, because here at the Greencast, we are supporters of local Saskatchewan beer. And there is fresh, amazing local Saskatchewan beer once again at the stadium this week. Let's get all those suckers sold out by halftime again. I am so sad, Joel, that the one game I was at did not feature any local beer. Because when it comes to local beer, especially the lineup that we've had the past few weeks. And and, and if, if you're not into trying new beers, sometimes you might walk in and see the local shelf at whatever local liquor store you're going to. And you might go, oh, I'm so intimidated. But I can tell you, when you're at a Ryder game, getting to try some of these local beers, these local breweries that, that are bringing their best product, it's all, you know, grown locally, and it's just like it comes from the earth of Saskatchewan, and you can put one of those in your face hole while you're watching Saskatchewan steam, it, it's hard to beat. Um, I can tell you that uh, I've tried many beers from District, many beers from Pile of Bones, uh, many beers from Blackbridge. And man, uh, I've I've been a bit, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a beer connoisseur. Uh, that was one thing I did whenever I was on the road with the Saskatoon Hilltops, Saskatchewan Rush. Even when I was in the states, it was all local, 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 local. And it just seems like local beer, you know, pairs so well with the riders. It's just again, as I tweeted out, I think it was in response to was it Rebellion on Twitter about selling out. I said, you know what? Maybe people just want good beer. And not pill when they watch their local football team. Absolutely. Local local football team, it just makes sense. Absolutely. So if you're looking to uh, find the delicious local fresh beer at Mosaic Stadium at the Ryder game on Saturday night, uh, you can find it. I believe it's called the Section 28 Bar. It's in the southwest corner. Uh, Molson stores all their fake craft beer there. So they have uh, put in the local craft beer in there as well. So... (laughs) 
that's where you can find it um, amongst some of the other stuff that claims to be craft when it isn't. So don't be confused. I, that was some of the best shade I think you've ever thrown in this podcast, Joel. Well, it's it's if you if you people who know me and people know me when you get around into beer conversations, that's a word that generally falls out of my mouth when talking about some of the brands that the big brands try to pass off as craft so <laughs> no and, and it's true there's been many times i've actually texted you as as uh, you know put peel back the curtain a little bit here you and i text constantly about sports and about beer and once in a while i'll be like hey joel this is what i'm drinking you'll be like no it's owned by molson they are the worst they actually steal candy from babies um <laughs> Okay, let's not go that far. <laughs> okay, okay. I, so I should delete that text where you accused Molson of stealing candy from babies. I've never said that. I know you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> That's fake news. Hashtag fake news. So since we're talking about beer, we might as well segue into our little segment we do uh, every week. Uh, John, uh, what's in the glass this week? Well, this week was uh, a fun adventure. I took a little weekend getaway uh, with my wife, Lacey, down to Moose Jaw, left our son, Max, with uh, mother and father-in-law. So I started off the weekend beer tour with, of course, Pile of Bones as White IPA. I had that at one of the many great local... You know what? For a quick little getaway, kind of from anywhere in Saskatchewan, Moose Jaw is a great place to go. Lots of lots mm-hmm. of bars, lots of local beer. Um, but I, as of right now, I had bought myself uh, several of the Blackbridge Uno IPAs because Ugh. I had heard rave reviews from you, uh, another friend of mine, Nathan. Uh, he had said, listen, this is the best IPA you're going to put in your face. Uh, they had it cold at the historic downtown liquor store in Moose Jaw. Good. And I pulled it out and I put it in my face and holy crap, damn it. Oh boy. It is good. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uno describes uh, where it ranks. Between 1 to 10, 1 being good, 10 being bad. We're we're flipping the scales a little bit, but 1 outstanding. Now, John, you were in Moose Jaw on the weekend, as you said, and uh, Mm -hmm. there seems to be uh, some questions about your family lineage based on your trip to Moose Jaw from what I saw. Yes, there had been a long-standing rumor. This dates back on my mom's side of the family. Uh, Basically, my great-grandma does not know who her biological father was, and my great-great-grandma always claimed... It was Al Capone. And the reason she claimed this is, well, she ran a brothel and knew she did the deed with Mr. Capone and also several of his top henchmen. <laughs> but let's let's not talk about my grandma's great great grandma's past. Um, so if anybody looks at me and tries to say that your great great grandma was a whore is an insult. Well, it's kind of technically true. And we know this. Um, so anyways, Lacey and I do the Tunnels of Moose Jaw tour. One of them is just the Chicago connection about the old prohibition days, hiding the tunnels and the old fronts they used to do there. Al Capone used to frequent Moose Jaw. And so there's a fairly large photo of Al Capone. And I walk up beside said photo, take my glasses off and say to Lacey, take a comparison shot here. And let's see. There's Al Capone has very large eyebrows and sunken eyes. <laughs> cheek cheek lines when he smiles. And the most hilarious part was I said to I said to Lacey, I said, you know, my nose is kind of similar. And she goes, not really. You have your mom's nose. Oh, crap. <laughs> My mom's side of the family where it comes from. So I posted it on Twitter, uh, the comparison of me and Al Capone. And I think it's safe to say that my great-great-grandmother wasn't crazy. She knew that Al Capone slipped one past the goalie. So 
From now on, he is great great grandpa Al. I mean, if you have the opportunity to make that claim, I, you, you might as well. I mean, I admit I went and looked back at the paperwork that you filled out for the car you sold me just to make sure everything was on the up and up <laughs> after learning about your uh, mob ties. So, uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> you know what? And I'll even I'll tweet it back out. We're recording this on a Tuesday night. Our last Tuesday night recording session of the year. We're going to move it to Wednesdays because of curling here right away. But uh, I'll tweet it out again Wednesday morning. And uh, I showed a bunch of people at work. And uh, at my real job at Oakwood Nissan, uh, my one of the lot attendants, uh, Eddie, the senior lot attendant, Eddie comes by. He says, your new nickname is Capone. <laughs> However, the best part is, is, for the first time in my life, people are treating me with a little bit of respect. That'll last probably a week. Maybe? Yeah, probably. Maybe. Yeah, about then, that. Then, then they'll remember I'm a complete ass clown and go back and treat me like I normally am. Absolutely. And so, uh, following up that great story for me, um, it's weird. It's, you know, the, the seasons are changing. It's definitely cooler. And I notice my beer taste is changing a little bit with it, too. I still love those summer beers, and I'll still buy some right. of them throughout the winter and drink them to just to think of better times. But right now, I'm really in a place with a pile of bones red ale. Oh, good. It's, it's a good one. It is so good. Like it, it's, it's. I don't drink a lot over the summer, but right now it's just that perfect. Like it's not so cold that you want a porter, but it's not so warm that you want something light and citrusy. It's just that perfect balance, and they add yes. a little bit more hops to it to make it a, give it a little bit of a bite, but it's still super balanced. So that's that's kind of what I love about it. And uh, yeah, I've been I've been drinking a lot of that one lately. And just, it's and it's so it's so hard to do a good red. Yeah, and the, the cool story about this one is this is a beer that I believe Glenn has been brewing as a home brewer before he even started. Like, this is his, like, almost his original recipe. It's probably been tweaked a little bit over the years, but this is a beer that he's been brewing forever, and it's in the can, and it's just, it's just outstanding. I look forward to having more of it in my face hole. Absolutely. Um, so... A big week for the Riders, as always, as, uh, well, they surprisingly, at least in my books, picked up the sweep over the Bombers between the Labor Day Classic and the Banjo Bowl. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into the Banjo Bowl in a little bit because that game was just too weird to not talk about, even though there's stories out of that game that are maybe more important than the game itself at this point. But And the biggest issue, and they're not issue, but the biggest storyline that came out of that game was the status of quarterback Zach Calero says he took that big hit from uh, oh, yeah. Jeff Hecht there in the second half and didn't return to the game, but did return to the sidelines, which at the time I kind of took as probably a good sign because I think he came back to the sidelines with about three minutes left in the game or so. And at that point, there wasn't any point in putting him back in the game unless they were down by like three and needed to get up the field. But considering they were in the lead and it was going to be up to the defense to win the game regardless, there was no point in throwing Zach Caleros back into that game, no matter how good he may or may not have been feeling. So the question has been, is he going to play? What's going to happen? Well, our boy Justin Dunk broke the news on Monday that, that he, he, he went through concussion protocol. All is good. Chris Jones said today, barring some kind of setback, he is going to play on Saturday against Ottawa. And that big gust of wind you felt through the province today was just a, a big old sigh of relief because... From what we saw in that game and what we've seen all season long, it's clear that while this defense is what's going to win or lose them games, they are still an entirely different team on offense when Zach Caleros is not in the game compared to Brandon Bridge because I think it's clear, rightly or wrongly, that Stephen McAdoo just does not trust any other quarterback to run the offense the way he does. 
No, and you're absolutely correct. And it was actually you that brought up that point in your quick recap there for Three Down Nation. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at the similar situation, the Riders, an obvious field goal, maybe obvious run attempt there later in the football game. Last week in the Labor Day Classic, they go ahead, they air it out, they seal the game, boom, done. This week with Brandon Bridge in there, it is handed off, take your yard and a half that you gain from the running back falling over behind the line. You're right, that shot is not taken there without Zach Caleros in the game. You could even tell, it's just like the wind was taken out of the team a little bit when Brandon Bridge stepped in. Uh, and I'm a guy... Coming into the season, I thought I thought there was a ton of potential for Brandon Bridge. I thought that he was going to battle for the starter's job, and I, that just has not been the case for him. So mm -hmm. it's absolutely massive that Zach Lowe is coming back. And I know you and I were maybe going to discuss this a little bit later, but Zach Lowe's in his history of maybe hiding injuries. But mm -hmm. um, from a guy that's had several concussions, uh, speaking as myself, I can tell you if you are genuinely concussed, genuinely not feeling well, the last place you want to be is loud and bright. Yeah. And that, to me, is a good sign that Caleros came back out of the room, even just to stand on the sidelines, because if he was really badly concussed, like I have been multiple times, and I can speak from experience, the absolute last thing you want to do is be on the sidelines in a close banjo bowl in the middle of daylight. You kind of want to hide in the dark and not talk or think about anything. Yeah, I, I think that's an entirely fair point, but I, there is still that you still have to take a step back because this is a guy who has admitted that he's hid injuries from the training staff before. Now, he says yes. he's learned from that, and I'm willing to take him at face value for that and say, okay, yeah, he has learned from that, and, and we'll, we'll probably know pretty quickly in the game on Saturday night if he has learned from that and if he is hiding anything or not, but I, I'm willing to believe that I'll, get, I'll take him at his word. I'll believe him that he learned his lesson, and he's fine. And the fact that he didn't come back in that football game, that he didn't really seem to be all, hey, I need, you know, he wasn't in Chris Jones' ear, like, constantly trying to get back into that game. It was just, he was there. So, right. I think, to me, that says he learned his lesson. He didn't hide anything. He decided he's going to sit out the rest of that game because there wasn't much time left, and they move on. So, he's, yeah. he's going to play this week, and... This is the night and day difference you see with the offense. And we've talked a lot about the offense of this team, and there's still a ton of question marks there about whether they can actually win them a football game. We don't need to get into that again for the 10 millionth time. But what, you, what I am starting to see from this offense overall is their ability to contribute in ways that maybe a lot of people don't think of because, okay, yeah, they don't generally don't put the points on the board. And mm -hmm. yeah, okay, they're getting like 14 points a game from defense and special teams, and generally that's unsustainable but for some reason that cliff still hasn't fallen off. Yeah. And even though they get beat statistically on offense pretty much every week, the one interesting that stat, if you go back and look at the game stats after every game, pretty much all the box scores, miraculously, because of the way they operate the offense, they're not really hurting their defense that much. Like the defense doesn't really have to play that many more plays because generally speaking, even though they score maybe at most one touchdown a game, the time of possession is still generally even every game. And yes. when an offense is that bad, when they don't score that many points, usually they're getting beat pretty bad in time of possession, and that wears down the defense. But this offense is at least allowing them the time to rest up properly to make sure that they can keep doing their jobs. So from that regard, the offense is contributing. And while they can still be better... They're, they're playing a key role in making sure that the, the bread and butter of this team is good to go. 
Yeah, and, and I and I kind of alluded to that last week too as well, saying that obviously this offense is good. They're not great, but they're good because they're able to drive the ball down. They're just settling for three a lot. And to me, that just comes down to finding a guy or two that could step up. One guy for me in the Banjo Bowl was Trey Mason. And yeah. It looks like he's going to take that starting running back job and run with it. Huh. Um, Don't Jordan quit. Williams Lambert is is looking like a really good second option behind Naaman Roosevelt. I still think I would like to see one more receiver step up. Yep. I think going from the receiving depth they had last year and how well that suited the team uh, to what they have this year, that it's basically Roosevelt and Williams-Lambert. Uh, I would like to see one guy emerge, take a step forward, have a big game, something like that, get worked in a little bit. Uh, before I really put my full trust in this. But I think once that point happens, and as Zach Galeros continues to get more, more comfortable with the aforementioned Mr. Roosevelt, Williams-Lambert, Trey Mason, I do see them you know, going from being a ball-control offense to being able to actually put some points on the board. I mean, it's one thing to ask you know, a team to go from getting it consistently down the field to punching in rather than a team trying to figure out how to get it down the field in the first place without being picked off five different times like Matt Nick was in the Winnipeg Blue Box. Yeah, and that's that's entirely a fair point. And we didn't we saw I think we saw an example of that more so in the Labor Day classic than we did the Banjo Bowl. Uh, what we see generally when it's yeah. on is an offense that is able to grind down the other defense and that's when they take their shot late to ice the game. It's not a strategy I particularly would want to employ, but hey, if it's working, it's working. And there there are many ways to crack this egg. There is no one set formula for winning championships in football. So there's many ways you can do it. So there's nothing wrong with that. And so you brought up the multiple upon multiple upon multiple interceptions that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers threw. And <laughs> they could have thrown more in that banjo bowl because there were some that were called back on penalty as well. And yeah. I wrote it on the piece as well on 3 Down Nation that, as okay, the Labor Day Classic, we all know it as the game, generally speaking, the Riders win. At the Banjo Bowl, is this the game where, like, the weird, the weirdest stuff tends to happen? And mm-hmm. it's just, it's fun, and it's weird, and that game this week, last week, might have been, might have been the weirdest one to date, because... And I think I texted you afterwards, and I was like, it's my take that this game probably should have ended in a tie. That's a thought that should never cross any columnist, any writer, any fan's mind to say, oh, yeah, that game should have been a tie. And it's the only thing I could think of because, okay, the Bombers had as, uh, John Hodge on the Blue Bomber Talk podcast was talking about how, you know, numbers-wise, the Bomber offense is better except for Matt Nichols, so Matt Nichols costing the game. Like, okay, but a lot of that's to do with the rider defense. So there were just so many different things that everything kind of canceled it out, and I was like, that game probably should have been a tie for how weird it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. You look at the, you look at that rider defense, and they're always going to be they're good every single week, but I think they were gifted a few things this week. Yeah, by Matt Nichols trying to do too much. Oh, that one, um, that one interception particularly to Willie Jefferson, or was it was it the Guavin one? He like underhanded it at the goal line to nowhere. Like, yeah, <laughs> that you, one, that one was particularly dumb. <laughs> like you, you're taught that since since high school, since junior ball. Like it's first down, you don't try to make that. You take the sack. Yeah. You're in field goal range. Take the sack. You have arguably the best kicker in the league 
to come on and get you three points. It was still first down. You had another down to take a shot at the end zone even. Even if you don't have another down, you go down, you take your three, you get out of there. It's a close game against one of the best best defense in the entire CFL, and I think we can say that now after watching Calgary's defense give up a whole bunch of points to Edmonton. Um, The Willie Jefferson one, Matt Nichols makes a mistake that, you know, if, if, if your kid, if you're listening, your kid's a quarterback, don't do what Matt Nichols did and stare down your receiver the entire time. Willie Jefferson goes, huh, I'm eight foot two. I'm just going to put my hands up here and grab this ball. That was now, still a hell of a play by Willie Jefferson, oh, considering the traffic he had play. to go through to make that catch. Like, <laughs> oh, 100% it was a great play. But I mean, it starts by Matt Nichols staring down Andrew Harris from basically the snap of the ball. And the great play is it starts with also Jefferson's awareness that he doesn't have to go and get to Matt Nichols. He knows he's not, and this is what also makes his play great. He knows he's probably not getting to Matt Nichols with all the traffic he has. Mm-hmm. So he backs up at the perfect timing before Nichols throws the ball, leaps up, makes the interception, and then the athleticism to run it down the field. You know what? If I cared more about three-star awards and offensive and defensive player of the week, I would say it's BS that he's not a Shaw top three player, but... Forget Let's forget just it. Shaw top three player. The Ryderville the Ryder's Twitter account didn't even put him up for player of the game nominee. Okay. Like I, that no, one that's, that's I was I was texting with Ariel Zura after the game on that one and I was like, what? How was he not up for player of the game, at least from the yeah. Ryder's own Twitter account for the way he played that one? They put Sam Hurl up after the Labor Day Classic because he had a lot of tackles. Forget that the, all those tackles were like thirteen yards after Andrew Harris got the ball. But they can't give Willie Jefferson a nod when he played his best game of the year by far and maybe quietly one of his best games ever as a rider, even though he didn't really, you know, he didn't have the sack attack he normally does, but he was everywhere. But that's because Sam Hurl is the worst player in that defense that finally did something. So they got to give him a feather in the cap. So guys like you and I don't continually rib on him. Even though they did and because his tackles were basically pointless. It's, it's true. Great human being. <laughs> Sam Hurl, great human being, Absolutely. below average football player. On that note, um, I don't think he played a whole lot in the Banjo Bowl, did he? At least on no, defense. No, I don't remember seeing, hearing his name a whole lot. Now, Rod Black was calling the game, so I had the volume down pretty low in my hotel room. I just remember shot. seeing a lot of Cameron Judge. So Yes, Cameron Judge. Yeah, he was impressive. Uh, uh, again, Willie Jefferson. It almost seemed like Jefferson had a bit of a chip on his shoulder for a good reason. Because mm-hmm. we've all been talking about Charleston Hughes. And how good he's been. And it was almost like Willie Jefferson, who's been real good for the Riders. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he had he had a brief moment where he thought to himself, I'm going to remind everybody how good I am. But, you know, and, and I don't mean that in a bad or a negative sense. Mm-hmm. And I think he honestly, that, you know, a, a little positive competition in the dress here. You know, that kind of stuff that you like to see. One guy's getting all the love. Charleston Hughes, Charleston Hughes, Charleston Hughes. Deservedly so. Jefferson, absolutely deservedly so. (laughs) And I think maybe that helped motivate Willie Jefferson a little bit to to take his play to another level. And you can see that. A little friendly competition between teammates, to me, is always a great thing. And Jefferson has quickly, quickly said, okay... Maybe Charleston's having a good year because guys got to worry about me. And if you're going to worry too much about Charleston, I'm going to make you pay. 
Well, it's funny you bring that up because I, I wrote that point on the piece as well after the game. We're coming into the year and I put I put it in the big three down nation predictions piece where we all had to pick these different award winners and season uh, rankings and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I said defensive player, my defensive player of the year winner was going to be Willie Jefferson because he's going to get the Charleston Hughes treatment where everyone that plays on the other side of Charleston Hughes tends to have just an absolutely gigantic year. And I, yes. I exactly thought that was going to happen, and you you took the words out of my mouth there from my piece, basically, where it's felt like it's almost gone the opposite way, where Charleston Hughes has probably been extra good and had, has so many more sacks because of Willie Jefferson. And I, don't, I didn't expect that to be the way this relationship kind of worked, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I know, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's, it's pure luxury that you can have you know Hughes and Jefferson out there and you really got to see it was almost like the Bombers decided um okay we're gonna worry more about Charleston Hughes and Willie Jefferson just ran all over them and obviously was inside the head of Matt Nichols the whole way and that might be Matt Nichols might have played the worst professional game by an established quarterback in any football league that that I like the only other comparison I can think of is Jake DeLome throwing six picks in a playoff game. Yeah. Um, and when we're comparing you to Jake DeLome... Mark Sanchez you're... has got to have one or two in there as well. Oh, I don't think Mr. Buttfumble ever had a game that was that ugly. I don't know. We'd have to go back and look, I guess, but... We need a football reference. I guess it depends on whether you consider Mark Sanchez was ever established or not, too, I guess. True, true <laughs> enough. But he did bring us the butt fumble, and for that, we will always remember him. Absolutely. And I, well, yeah, Matt Nichols was bad, but at the same time, the Ryder defense had to be opportunistic about it, and they were. And I think when we're talking about what made the Ryder defense so good that day, I think the difference compared to the Labor Day Classic we saw as well was the re-addition of Mikhail Brooks and what a yes. difference he makes in stopping the run. And just the general push and everything along the defensive line when he's in the middle there rather than someone else besides Zach Evans. And also generally using four-man rush more than three-man rush in general helps. As well. it, is, it <laughs> scary, is it scary to say that this defense with, and you mentioned it, you know, hearing Cameron Judge's name a lot, seeing Cameron Judge out there a lot. Is it safe to say, is it scary to say that I think they've gotten better as the season's gone on. Oh, there's no question as, about as, it. As Judge has emerged as a viable option as a Canadian linebacker spot, and Mikael Brooks is healthy, and Jefferson, we just talked at length about Jefferson and Hughes. Like, it's just, I, I mean, to me, like, like this defense, it's just, it's, it's getting better. And that should be scary for the rest of the league, especially now that we're kind of heading into that. Let's face it, we got about four to six more weeks of good weather for offensive football. Mm -hmm. This Ryder team, a grinded-out offense, and the best defense in the league, combined with some great work on special teams. You know, Joel, between this and the fact that they now have the season series with Winnipeg, they could potentially get the season series with BC, they've beaten Calgary, they've thrown up some stinkers against teams in the East, which perplexes me. But... It's just, I'm starting to get the feel. Like, for the first time this year, I'm really starting to think, okay, this is a team that looks like it can do damage in October and beyond. Yeah. Significant damage. I did pick them to make the Grey Cup. 
against Hamilton. We will not mention who I said would be a quarterback for Hamilton. <laughs> I'm feeling better. I'm feeling. I'm feeling better about that hot take. Yeah, as you should be, and I, I have to say that I can't deny that the thought has crossed my mind as well. Now, preseason, I did pick the Riders to finish second in my yearly um, six predictions before the season piece. I said they would finish second in the West, and they have a pretty good shot at that right now. And, you know, that's really all the fans really can ask for at this point. And, okay, yeah, they're on a four-game winning streak. They are going to lose another game or two eventually. That's just the nature of the beast. But, yeah, overall, this team is trending in a very, very positive direction. And what you're seeing, and you alluded to it, was, to use a stupid hockeyism here, they are built to win in the playoffs because that's the kind Gosh. of game that they're probably going to have to play at some point. It, it could be the West final in Calgary and there's a blizzard. Yeah. You know, Hey, it could be the yeah. great cup at Edmonton and there could be a blizzard. It could be the West semifinal in Regina and there could be a blizzard. And at, at, that, at could... that point, advantage riders, even if it's in Calgary, I will say advantage riders. Hell, the way the season's going, could be a blizzard this Saturday against Ottawa. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, but if there is a blizzard on Saturday in Ottawa, we know who's going to have an interesting day is uh, TSN. And they ruffled some feathers over the weekend when because they have the triple header, which I love, and if they ever get a, yes. another team in Halifax, I want a quad. Yes. You go from coast to coast, that tweet went off a lot more than I ever thought it would for a dumb sort of off the top kind of thought. But anyway, and so they had the triple header and maybe the games were a little close uh, at times and the rider game did take longer because of some injuries and reviews and such. And so they decided to start the battle of Alberta, the Labor Day rematch on TSN one. Mm-hmm. And they moved the rest, the end of the rider game to three, four and five. And this brings me to one of the things that really annoys me and really grinds my gears, as some people like to say. <laughs> um, it seems TSN, in this scenario, with their one through five, can never win. Because they have, okay, they have the five feeds, but it's important to notice that three through five are technically really regionals. They did a poor job yes. branding that by calling them three, four, and five rather than West, Toronto, and East. <laughs> You know, yes, if they had done that, true. if they had done that, it would have cleared up everything because I even had some conversations with people who were mad that it went from the one off TSN one. Like, well, always PVR TSN three. The router game always. will always be there 100 percent of the time. So that's basically what it comes down to. And people, it seems like, OK, TSN actually uses their five feet to their advantage. People get mad. P TSN has four of the same things on everything but TSN two. People get mad because there's something they can't watch right now. And I'm just like, well, what do you want? <laughs> Like, really? They used their feeds effectively in that moment, and I'm sorry that you were PVRing TSN1, or all you have is TSN1, but that's not really their problem. They can't appease everyone. They have to make a decision, and since there's no technically no Alberta regional for them, because they don't have any Alberta regional hockey, which is really what all of this comes down to with a 1 through 5, they made a decision that was the best they could do in that moment, because... Eskimos and Stamps fans then would have been mad and they would have missed probably a decent proportion of the first quarter had that game not started on TSN1. Yeah. Well, and again, like you said, it, it, it's so, it, it just strikes me as simple and maybe you and I have the luxury of being able to pay for all five TSNs. Yeah. Um, 
I know whenever I get, I recently flipped cable packages, um, having the ability to have all five TSNs to me is essential, uh, especially being a Winnipeg Jets fan. Uh, all my Jets games are on TSN 3. Like, I don't need NHL Center Ice. I get all my Jets games on TSN 3. But just by watching the network, you figure out, okay, this is for the Prairies. This one here is for the Prairies. So just, like you said, set your PVR. I think people, and I, I'm assuming if you have a PVR, you probably have access to the funds required for all five TSNs. Yeah, and, and the only you don't need it all year. You can call your provider no. and have and start having all the TSNs on week one, and literally after week twenty-one, because you don't need it in the playoffs. Cancel the yeah. other four if you want. Oh, 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 certainly. I could see where people on a fixed income, people that don't have the luxury of PVRs of of the extra spending money to get all five TSNs. I could see the disappointment mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Those people I empathize with. But... This is the nature of the world we live in today, though. Like, you, you, they're not... The games aren't going to be on CTV for everyone to watch for free. It, this it, is exactly. just how it is. Exactly. But, I mean, there are people that, that can't afford the, the, the PVRs and the mm-hmm. high-def TVs and, and all that, and those people I empathize with. Yeah, those absolutely. people that were PVRing the game, remove your head from your buttocks and just PVR it on TSN3. Yeah. Like this is like this is like I feel like this is you know when when like your great grandpa Al Capone sits great great grandpa Al Capone sits you down on his lap, your little boy gives you some like advice, like go out in the world, like, you know, brush your teeth, floss, don't eat too many cheeseburgers. I feel like I want to take all our listeners on my knee as a father and say, "Listen, when you're recording the Ryder game, Quarter on TSN three. Yep. And if you want a little, you want a little, you want a little hack. Something I've learned because they used to remember the TSN used to archive like all their live events on their website for you to watch. Yep. They don't really do that much anymore. Um, and I know that. And so if if you are like internet savvy, um, I do know that the TSN Go app on the Xbox, you they archive everything there still. <laughs> so I have in times forgot I've been out and I forgot to PVR a game or whatever. I can I go on to the Xbox app and I can watch a game start to finish from there. Don't even need to be <laughs> it. It's, it's weird that it's there. I, I assume it would probably be there for the PlayStation app as well. Again, this is a whole money situation in terms of having these subscriptions and these game consoles and everything. But at the same time, that option is there too if you have it. Right, and take advantage if you have it. Now, my beef with TSN and this and this this grinds my gears as a former professional play-by-play man. Um, when they brought Jordan Reeves' dad into the booth to start the third quarter in a tight game in which one of the teams was driving. And I've kind of made a couple Rod Black jokes. I'll make Rod Black jokes probably till the day I die. Apparently, he's one of the best human beings in the world. He's not that good at his job. There's a lot of really good people good at their job at TSN and good at calling football that should be given opportunities. Love Rod Black. Great guy. Stick to basketball and figure skating. Really good basketball host. Really, really good during the Raptors. Oh, love his work on the Raptors, yeah. The lack of awareness shown when you have Jordan Reeves' dad and a team is driving and you're interviewing him rather than talking about the game is Bush League. Call the game. You have the game in front of you. Call the game. And let's face it. If Jordan Reeves' dad DM'd one of us, asking you to come on the podcast, 
I don't know if we take that interview. It's not like you were talking to – I get it. It's a fun interview. It's a halftime thing. It is you let him up in the booth. You let him break down a couple plays as your color commentator. There's a way to do this. There And the way to do <laughs> Pre-game it, show. <laughs> exactly. And not even, even if you don't want to work at the pregame show, tell – you know what? Tell Jock – or tell Dwayne, pardon me, put your feet up, grab some popcorn, throw the headset on him for a couple plays, let him break it down. When somebody's going to be punting and there's no return, you don't take your commercial break, then you ask him a couple more in-depth questions. But – to like interview him yeah and then like to be showing clips to a large winnipeg audience of winnipeg fans the winnipeg jets losing in the playoffs of the vegas golden knights <laughs> like whoever made that decision could probably sit on a carrot and wiggle don't even get me started too and and again good awareness here this was the proper way to do it sarah orleski on the sidelines big fan of sarah orleski's she's interviewing nick ehlers winnipeg jets for it. Speaking of the Jets, she quickly realizes stuff's happening. So she stops interviewing Nick Ehlers. Rod Black tries to throw back down to her for more Nick Ehlers' interview, and she basically goes, so Nick, games are good. Game's exciting. Hey, Nick Ehlers, Jet play in a week. Back to you. <laughs> Veteran maneuver. Absolutely. Veteran maneuver right there. Like... You had some. You had, you had a block out of a play-by-play host trying to go back down to you to get the thoughts of a Danish forward in the middle of a like fifty-yard gain down near the goal line, and she just went, "Nope, we're out." Adam Staroleski, Rod Black, shame finger, shame, shame. <laughs> so. This is an interesting conversation that I had with a friend of the show, Dan Plaster, because he's, he's like us, he's a bit of a media nut, and he loves, we love, I like to talk media with him, especially sports yep. media. Um, and the one theory, the one thing I, this, this theory that I've kind of been building on is the luxury, because if you look at the NFL broadcasts, how yes. much better they are, not, I'm not talking about production-wise, you're like, TSN's not going to be that, and that's fine. But the talent and the stories are better because every crew... That goes to a that is covering a game is covering that game only that week. There yes. is no, you know, there's no working two or three games in a week. And this occasionally some of the NBC guys did it on Thursday night football, but regardless, there's at least a few more days in between before Sunday night football. But at least yes. they still had the the Sunday night football producers in probably both places all week leading up to that game. Yes. So I know TSN doesn't have the resources to have four different play by plays. I get that. But and, they do. I don't. I don't really know. I don't. There's a lot of guys. I, I, Rod Gordon Miller doesn't want to do it. There, there's got. They only have so many bodies that they can throw out, especially behind the scenes, to really make this work. No, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right, right. with the behind the scenes. But I mean, in terms of play by play, um, you're right. Gordon Miller wants the summers off, rightfully so. But I mean, you've got Derek Taylor, who's called games. Who I thought did a fine job of calling games. I love Rod Smith's call of the games because I think Kate Burnett is a great host. Mm-hmm. And she could host Thursday and Friday night football, allow Rod to call more games. Yeah, Chris Cuthbert is the best in the business. And, and this is the, this got... is this is more the angle that I think I'm going to go with it because TSN isn't ever going to put that kind of investment into it as much as we like to see, and especially if we get to five games a week. I would right. just, I think it would be beneficial for them if they it doesn't have to be any specific time, any specific day, but they just picked out of one every four games, or this year or sometimes one over three games, they pick one game of the week. 
that's the game that they decide they're going to sink their resources into. So that is Suits, CC, the best production crew guys behind the scenes. That is the game you are focusing on this week. You have your you have like a producer at each practice throughout the week, and then Cuthbert and Suter then know that these are the only two teams they have to worry about that week, and you can actually develop a proper broadcast with great stories and great stats, and the whole thing is well-researched and well-put together rather than kind of talking about the same old tired talking points that we see week after week and bringing in dumb interviews that we don't really care about. No, and you're absolutely right. I mean... And it's funny because they've tried to make Friday Night Football the highlight, but they don't put the resources into it like like they could. They, they couldn't mm-hmm. make it like Sunday Night Football. I love Sunday Night Football. Yeah. I love Sunday Night Football. I love Monday Night Football. Because exactly as you said it, Joel, you get well, the even, best even the, even the guys that do all the local broadcasts on Fox and CBS, that's the only game they're doing that week. There isn't, yeah. there isn't you know, it's not... I, don't know, I can't remember the name of some of the other guys, but it's not them working that and then they work another game some other day, right? It's, this is the games they work. Yeah. And that's what they know, and that's what they know to research. And they know that game, and they know those teams that week inside and out, and it makes such a big difference on the broadcast. Yes. Or lean on your sideline reports a little bit more. Hmm. I mean, you have the aforementioned Sarah Lesky in Winnipeg. She's in Winnipeg. She go to every single practice, and then even the practice for the other team when they arrive. You have Claire Hanna down in Regina. I, I, I know there was a great bit on Jane Dan. She's obviously at every practice. I don't know if Chris Jones knows she's there. But in Farhan Lalji out, out in Vancouver, just the three sideline reporters that jump out to me, give them the time to tell. Because it seems like when they are telling these stories, it's, okay, here's your 45 seconds behind, between plays. Go. Yeah. Feature them. Feature them at halftime. I love the panel. Love the panel. But – Hey, here's a sit down with Chris Streveler on going to on how he's a raw rookie here in the NFL, here in the CFL. Here's, you know, here's the return of Rob Bag. Here's a great sit down with Rob Bag about what the hell he's been doing for the past six months and then visiting the Italian star Delhi. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. And I, I think, and I think, well, the other side of this that would be beneficial to the CFL then is if especially if we stay at four games for a while, or especially when they get to five, is if they could split the contract. So if you had two games a week on TSN, and you had two games a week on like Sportsnet or Global or something, then all of a sudden the resources aren't quite so spread so thin, and there's people that then they'll be pushing each other to get better too. Like ultimately, that's yeah. where they really should be going. They'll probably be getting more money by doing that way too, but TSN essentially owns the CFL at this point, and that's probably the road they're going to stick. I don't know. Yeah, why, why, why fix what ain't broken when you got the Monopoly, right? It's just like how the WWE, shout out Josh Smith, has gotten so much worse since WCW 4. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.